Welcome to the Shoot This Now podcast. I'm Tim Malloy. This is the podcast where we talk about stories that we think should be made into TV shows and movies. And today we're doing something a little unusual. We're interviewing some folks who we talked about on a previous episode. They are Payne Lindsay and Donald Albright, co-creators of Atlanta Monster, the biggest podcast in the world. I think I can say that. It's definitely the biggest podcast of 2018. We're in 2018. I'm going to go with the world. Um, How did this happen? We talked about Atlanta Monster on a previous episode of this podcast and how we think Atlanta Monster could be made into a TV show or a movie. They apparently heard that and they agreed to sit down and talk to us about how Atlanta Monster might actually become a TV show or a movie. They were actually in Hollywood. There were actual meetings. Uh, There are actual things going on. This is real. I am psyched. You might be psyched too. You should be. You know what? I don't want to tell you how to live. I think you should be. Also, other stuff, housekeeping. If you enjoy this, please give us five stars on iTunes or tweet it to your friends or whatever. Folks, Payne, Lindsay, and Donald Albright, creators, co-founders of Atlanta Monster. I hope you enjoy this. I'm one of the people who's gone from thinking this person's completely guilty to thinking there's almost no way he committed all of these murders. Right. And I don't know if he committed any. Yeah. Where do you stand today, right now? I feel like he presented himself so badly and in a way that was so different than the authorities wanted um, and his sort of cockiness and his talkiness, honestly, that he made himself look really bad. But... I don't know. You just you guys just dug up so much information suggesting that there's really nothing to pin him to any of these solidly. Where do you guys stand? We go back and forth all the time. Yeah. Um, in the beginning, I was like, he did it. In the middle, I was like, he didn't do it. Almost to the end, I was like, he still didn't do it. Then I was like, <laughs> maybe he did it. So, um, I mean, full disclosure, I think he definitely killed some kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he lied to me about some very crucial things. Wow. The fiber evidence to me is, is damning. Uh-huh. And, uh, speaking with Larry Peterson, the fiber expert, he convinced me that there was no other way the fibers could link to this man. Yeah. Unless he was there with the kids. I mean, I, I started out thinking that he was probably guilty of some, but not all. Then I went all across the board with, he did all of them to, he did none of them. To really coming right back to where I started, thinking that he's hiding something, and if you're going to be, you know, if you're in jail for two murders, serving life after 37 years, you wouldn't be hiding anything anymore. So, right, if you are still lying, you're lying about something that's probably murder. That's insane. <laughs> How much did he hurt himself? I mean, I I felt your frustration around episode five when he starts talking, and first it's very exciting, like, oh my God, they've got Wayne Williams, right. and then it's like. All right, enough with Wayne Williams. Like, he really doesn't let up. Yeah. You you thought it was like this bombshell. You thought it was bad. Yeah. You know, you only heard 5% of the <laughs> Wayne Williams, Wayne Williams, Wayne Williams. Mm-hmm. And I think a month had gone by, and I was talking to you and Meredith, and I was like, he's not telling me anything. Yeah. It's wow. like when you're on the phone with him, it seems like he's telling you something. Yeah. And you get off, you're like, he didn't tell me anything. And it would just be one thing after another. Just always, he would have these little diversions and you know 
just yeah. different steps he would implement right. to get to information yeah. and never quite get there. It's always like, we're going to get to that, and I'm going to send you this, and wait till you talk to this person. It was and very business. Ve- yeah, very. very. Yeah. That was one of the issues, too, and, and it's kind of hard to judge by this, but, you know, we all have, you know, we take stuff in and we, and we judge how we feel about it, and I can't imagine how it would feel after 37 years of being in prison, whether you were guilty or innocent. I yeah. have no clue how that makes a person feel and act, but you didn't feel the sense of, man, I didn't do this, and someone needs to hear me say this loud and clear, yeah. this emotional plea, this, you know what I mean? Like how I feel I would act if I was wrong convicted of something that was this heinous and terrible, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And it just felt like, Payne said, more business-like, of like, maybe the thought was, you know, I believe I'm innocent because they say I did all of these, and I know I didn't do all of that, right. so they really didn't get me. Because, you know, I kind of won even though I'm in prison because you can't really prove it. And there's so much controversy that in the public opinion, I kind of really won. So I can be confident in my innocence, even though clearly it seems like he did something. You know what I mean? Yeah. That makes sense. You mentioned that he's always saying, wait until you talk to this person. And then sometimes when you did talk to that person, it completely didn't pan out the way he said it would. Absolutely. That must have been really frustrating when you were making this. Yeah, I mean, he would tell you this is the key to this, and it wasn't. Uh, wow. Just tons of times. And after a while, we kind of saw the pattern, and you know, not until the end did I start kind of putting pressure on Wayne to answer some tough questions. It really was just hard to get him in a place where I could ask the question. Yeah, He was really good at just talking to you, and you'd have me on the phone, it was harder to kind of just interject and say something so t- towards the end I just literally interjected and just asked questions wow. that were tough mm-hmm. let me ask this which is maybe a dumb question but we hear so much about the cost of collect calls from prison like there's a whole industry built around kind of exploiting families of prisoners who want to talk to their loved ones behind mm-hmm. bars how much money did you guys run up just letting Wayne Williams do his thing I don't know exactly but I would say over a thousand dollars yeah um, <laughs> I mean, it's not cheap. Yeah. And, possibly, uh, possibly, like two thousand dollars. Probably, think. yeah. And this is like in four, five, four months. Yeah. Four or five months. Yeah. Unbelievable. Donald, did you ever talk to him yourself? Yeah. So it, it started out with really uh, just pain talking to him because it, it needed to just be this one person with this one relationship. It's kind of interesting how you <laughs> came into the picture too. Yeah. I mean, so it, it's what people don't understand. Like this is a really difficult process. Like yeah. you have pain who's not just the host, but the investigator and the one. So he's talking to 90% of, he's doing first-hand interview with 90% of everybody. And Meredith does some, and, you know, uh, I'll do some pre-interviews. But at, at some point, he has to make the podcast. You know, the, the yeah. magic is in the editing. And, you know, Payne comes from a background where he can do all this stuff. So he edits the podcast and, you know, has a you know huge influence over the music. So he's busy. And, like, clearly, you know, you can see from the podcast how much Wayne likes to talk. So yeah. At a certain point, it's like, man, I gotta make the podcast. I can't talk to him every other day for you know an hour at a time, especially so, about nothing. Especially oh, no. when it's like, I know I'm just not going anywhere. He's just he wants. To, he's like Wayne was trying to like push us to go do this, that, and the third, and it was just not panning out. It was more so people saying Wayne didn't do it. Wayne didn't do it. He's a good guy, and yeah. I'm part of his freedom project or whatever else. So yeah. I end up you know stepping in to like, okay, let me at least continue to talk to him, hear him out. Maybe we get some good sound bites. Maybe, at least I'm making him feel more comfortable with like we're not you know we're we're engaging and so I talked to him probably for the past two months 
of wow. the podcast, I was talking to him more so more than Payne, and then setting up the important calls between Wayne and, and Payne. So yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> I just passed it to you. Yeah, I mean, I, I had to. He, I mean, I mean, I came to you. I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> yeah, like I literally can't do this anymore. <laughs> yeah, and I think you came to me like a month later and said, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> man, I get it. Like, it's, <laughs> it's and here's the thing is. I had heard a bunch of you know calls from Wayne, and obviously heard it on the podcast. So I heard, I, I knew how he was. I knew kind of the the runaround that we were getting. But listening to him talk, he is convincing in the sense that he's a likable guy. He's not. Yeah. He's not. He doesn't sound like a monster. He doesn't come off like a monster. Not at all. He comes off like a, a genuine guy, pretty smart guy who's actually not as crazy with the conspiracies as even the people in his inner circle who who believe he's innocent yeah. you know yeah. what i mean he's pretty practical in like his excuses of why he didn't do it and where he was and all that it's, it doesn't sound far-fetched it's, it sounds like it doesn't add up but not far-fetched yeah it's it, it's it's really incredible to me do you, do you guys have to maintain a relationship with him to do more episodes in the future or is now like we can speak freely and move on that's interesting too. I think that personally, I think that Wayne will always talk to me mm-hmm. or Donald mm-hmm. um, or anybody who's interested in talking to him. He knows that people think he's guilty. He knows that people think he's innocent or somewhere in between. So, you know, he's talked to reporters and stuff for years who have thought he was guilty. Mm-hmm. Wayne just wants to talk to you. Hmm. Wayne wants to continue to tell his story and, you know, maybe try to convince you again. Yeah. <laughs> And I think there, there, his the circle. And Wayne doesn't get to experience everything firsthand. You know, you don't get as much clearly as much information in podcasts and all that behind bars. So he's taking his information from a lot of people that are outside telling him. So right. and you got to understand the people who believe he's you know a scapegoat or that's racially motivated. and He was set up by the GBI or the FBI. They want this podcast to go a certain way. You know, right. They want Wayne talking about why he's innocent. They want this to be a Wayne Williams innocence podcast right. or innocence documentary or whatever else anyone else is doing on the, on the, on the project. And what we were saying was, look, no one, no, we're not going to get everyone to come to the middle and have a real conversation about this. If we approach it as, Hey everyone, let me tell you why Wayne Williams is innocent. Yeah. And if we approach it straight down the middle and tell both sides, you know, you're going to have, you're going to piss off the Wayne Williams is innocent crowd. Right. And, but you're going to bring more people to the middle, which is actually benefits him. So at least he gets the chance right. to tell his story, you know, and, and people are like, okay, let me judge this with fresh ears. Right. Yeah. So, you know, his inner circle may be upset about some of the things we said or how they feel he was portrayed. But I feel like we, we told both sides of every story, some things that made him sound guilty, some that made him sound innocent. And it wasn't us telling the story. It was someone else telling their story or what the evidence mm. said, you know. Mm. So I think, I think we did a fair job, but I think there's, some people are still going to be upset with us yeah how much did you want to use this as kind of a trojan horse to talk about other issues it felt like the murder was a really good kind of i never want to say murder is good the murder case was a a way to sort of draw on people who might not other have otherwise have been interested in the socioeconomics of atlanta in the early 80s um did you think this is a way that we can tell people about the state of race relations especially then and how they reflect things now I mean, to me, that was the biggest reason that drew me to the story. Yeah. I mean, as a reason to retell it almost 40 years later. Yeah. You know, why rehash this at all 40 years later, um, unless there was, you know, a silver lining to doing that. Yeah. And so that's something that you and I talked about, Donald, yeah. in the beginning as a, 
a good reflection of America in 1980, 1979, and today. There's a lot of mm-hmm. correlations there with things that have changed and a lot of things that haven't changed, yeah. but it's important to remember the past and where you came from. Yeah, I think initially when I suggested the case to Payne, it was strictly for the, because it's what I knew about the case, that it was there was some controversy, yeah. he's been in prison, in, and to me it was like, wow, this is, I don't see much about, hear much about this. Yeah. It affected me growing up. So I was like, you know, I wonder if Payne has heard about this case. So I didn't think, you know, when I told you about the case that we need to do this because it's relatable today with, you know, our society. And, but once Payne looked into it and then I started doing more research and realizing, man, I don't know anything about this that I thought I did. Yeah. And hearing some of those news clips and old YouTube videos and stuff. I was like, man, this is, this is today. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's when we decided like, okay, you can't tell this as a, just a crime story. This is yeah. a story about Atlanta, a story about racial relations, socioeconomic issues. So we had to just tell it in a way that we didn't shy away from that stuff. And, you know, really just episode one, like, look, take you right back to the place where it yeah. happened. And this is what was going on. And, you know, like, love it or hate it, this was us back then. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and let everyone at the end of it decide, like, wow, you know, a lot has changed, but how much progress have we really made, you know, just in the way that we, not in policy, but in how we view and deal with each other, yeah. you know. And you grew up in Atlanta. Actually, I grew up in, in uh, here in California, in the oh. area. Yeah. So it's, it, if, I mean, I was 2,000 miles away and only three years old when this was happening. Yeah. But somehow, I mean, just in the black community, it's something that was discussed yeah. and talked about as if it has just happened. So I don't remember it when I was three, but I remember it yeah. when I was seven when i was 10 and this, it was over by then but you know there were retrials and there was this whole boogeyman kind of concept of me hearing about this guy number one because it was they were all young black victims yeah so if you're young and black at the time it's going to resonate with you and you're going to you know feel that um you know that that fear but also because it was a black killer yeah and it was like wow that's that's different you know it's yeah. not something that you know when you look at at least the the serial killers that are well-known, you know, you're like, wow, a black serial killer? That's usually that's white guys. Yeah, yeah. So especially in the black community. You know, you know, you never, and I think statistically there actually isn't a, a um, there isn't a huge disparity in between race if you've taken the account of like, what they consider a serial killer. Mm-hmm. But the the public face of a serial killer, especially in the in the 80s, yeah. wasn't, you know, a 20-year-old black guy, 23-year-old yeah. black guy. So it was just, you know, that was unique and you know, resonated with, you know, with black people in the black community. Yeah. Payne, you did grow up in Georgia. I did. What, were you aware of this story when you were, you're probably way too young. Yeah, I was born in 87 and I'd never really heard of the story. Wow. And my, my parents did. My dad went to Georgia Tech in Atlanta. And when I told him I was doing a podcast on this, I mean, <laughs> he just started rambling right away. I was like, oh yeah. I mean, he told me a story about um, just riding his bike in Atlanta um, to uh, school and like, you know, just him being scared, just, wow. even as a, a white male in his early 20s, you know, yeah. just the fear in Atlanta, he was just speaking to that. And he said it was just unreal at the time. And he remembered the story, but all the details were kind of fuzzy because he kind of made a good point to me. He's like, I didn't have a TV in my apartment. Huh. You know what I mean? I mean, I guess he was in college and probably didn't have any money, but you know, TVs weren't as common just in every single household. And so he's like, I, I saw it on the news all the time, but it was at Dunkin' Donuts or something. Oh, he's eating coffee, but it was always on. But so he, he remembers like a version of it. But as like, we broke it down, he, it just all came back to him, and just he learned stuff that he didn't know. Donald, can I just make a guess? Because this was how I grew up. Did you grow up with a fear of the Night Stalker? Oh man, 
This was the guy who was breaking into people's houses in the mm-hmm. mid-80s in L.A. Richard Ramirez. Leaving, like, satanic symbols everywhere. I mean, like... That's terrifying. And the thing was, he, yeah. was, he was... It wasn't, a, like, a sophisticated um, plan. He would, like, come in through unlocked doors and windows yeah. in the summertime. So you're like... I mean, I didn't have air conditioning in my house. You yeah. know what I mean? And we were, like, on edge, fearful. Like, that was... Yeah, that was a thing I... I, we, you know, we were researching other serial. We were some on that. Yeah. yeah, I was like <laughs> Richard Ramirez. Like that was that was the one, the Night Stalker. Yeah, I grew up in San Pedro down the 110 freeway. Yeah, and I remember my parents like showing me the map and going like, "Don't worry, nothing's happened near San Pedro." And yeah. then they caught him on San Pedro Street, <laughs> and I was no, like, "You oh, liars!" Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was killing from like, like making his way from like the Bay Area down to. And the crazy thing, the way they caught him, like the people in the community just spotted him and like. How crazy. I beat him up in the street. And, Amazing. And, 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 like, captured him. It was crazy. That should be an I love L.A. Yeah. Like, <laughs> awesome. We caught a serial killer yeah. trying to steal yeah. a car. The community came together and, like, <laughs> hey, police, you know, couldn't do it. They had, his picture was out there, so they did some, you know, they put his picture out there, and they recognized him and took him down right here in L.A. That's funny. Man. So are you guys researching other cases now, or what? what's next, I guess? Like, do you go back to Wayne Williams, or do you look for a completely different case? Um, I think the Wayne Williams cases will continue to be very puzzling for myself and a lot of people. I think we shined some light on a lot of areas in the case and answered some questions. Some questions may remain unanswered forever, but there's always things to talk about. So we plan on um, giving the listeners some updates and some new episodes on some different topics and even some episodes on Atlanta and the city and more of that story. But uh, on another note, we're also um, looking to continue the Atlanta Monster brand with possibly other stories on other serial killers or other um, murders as well. Wow. Yeah. In Atlanta or? Um, Not in Atlanta. Yeah. So we have um, some ideas on how to kind of take the brand to the next level and um, continue with the podcast, but... Different stories. Yeah, I feel like different we, cities. We kind of wow. set the set the tone with Atlanta Monster. It's very unique because it's not just murders in a place. It's how much those murders affected a, a place, right? Right. So I think you want to, and there's there aren't going to be a ton of those in any given city, you know. And if there is, I mean, I feel for that city, you know. Yeah. But um, so just there are monsters all over the world, and yes. you know, they've done crazy things. From there's other monsters. Yeah, out other there. monsters out there that we. <laughs> you know, that we want to try to cover in, in some way. So we're, we're throwing out ideas. There's, um, you know, there's de- several directions that we can go. Um, and just we want to continue the, continue the brand. And people people enjoy hearing about things that um, that they didn't know about and that they feel they should have because they're important. And we kind of want to highlight those or things. Or thought they knew about but yeah. didn't know yeah. everything. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of where how I was also. And I think, like when you said, when your dad heard that we were doing it, he mm-hmm. had a bunch of information. I mean, same for my mom, my dad, yeah. my whole family, and they all remember it, but they remember it, you know, through their through the lens that they were, you know, that they viewed everything through. And a lot of times we'll hear about news, hear about a headline, and then the rest of it is filled in with gossip and within the community of who you're yeah. talking to. And they feel like, oh, wait, he said that, and this is what happened. And, you, turn, you know, when you actually do some research, you realize that's actually not all true. You might have 50% of the story on it. Yeah. So, so you're in Hollywood now. Is it safe to assume you're taking some meetings about this? Um, let's just say yes. <laughs> uh, we were actually primarily here for Up and Vanish, yeah. but cool. we had some meetings about Atlanta Monster, so we do have plans to 
um, you know, take that to TV in some form. Yeah. Very so cool. Still, still early in the in the planning of that. The main thing, you know, with Up and Vanish, you know, it was it wasn't supposed to be a podcast. It was supposed to be a documentary. Right. So the way you know, Payne and I both think is that, um, you know, trying to create a, a new IP or a new brand, you is never just one thing. We always see it as visual anyway. So when yeah. we do the we do a podcast, it's a version of kind of the bigger ideas. You're only really getting. A portion of what our vision is when you when you listen to a podcast so that inherently just makes us want to take the next step and, and just at least put feelers out there like who may be interested in taking this brand this ip this you know concept to the next level into the small screen big screen you never know yeah do you think small screen or big screen at this point um man i'm always thinking big screen yeah i mean you always what's think the small screen <laughs> you all have small screens <laughs> I, mean, I guess it ends up on the small screen anyways, right? Probably yeah, sure. watch it phone. always ends up on the phone. Even if it's on Netflix, you're going to watch it on your phone, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the smallest. <laughs> but, I mean, when it comes to – honestly, there's there's great programming from, you know, movies to TV. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's, I mean, you see all the actors, the directors, producers, they're, they're doing it all. So as long as we can – we feel like creatively we can have the space to really tell the story the way we want to and frame it properly and get the yeah. people involved, it doesn't really matter as long mm-hmm. as we can – do it right and do the city, the victims, and the story justice. Yeah, I mean, I, I just envision just a premium docu-series that yeah. expands on the story you learned through the podcast and much more in a deeper story. And, you know, yeah. people were left with questions. You asked, is there more episodes coming out? So clearly there's still information here to be found and yeah. stories to be told. And, you know, the cool thing about a podcast is you kind of imagine all these things that you're listening to it. But to bring those things to life on TV would be great. So how does it generally work? Do you come to people and say, I have, hey, network, I have this pitch? Or do they come to you and say, we have this idea. We really like what you've done. How would you feel about this? Well, I'm both, pretty right? new to the business. But so far for me, it's worked um, where I meet with production companies who are interested in working mm-hmm. with me and developing this. Mm-hmm. I choose a partner and then we package it up and develop um, the sizzle reel and the deck and everything. And then we basically send it out to all the buyers and we just set up pitch meetings with the networks. And yeah. we sit down with them and say, hey, this is what we're trying to do. We want to do it on your network. And they say, well, yeah, yay or nay. And when you, I mean, clearly like Atlanta Monster was was huge. I mean, it was number one for 30 days on Apple Podcasts. But people who are into podcasting know about it. And then people, even people who aren't, like if you're just into the entertainment industry, that you're always looking to find, you know, what, you know, podcast property is, is, is doing well, so you can potentially adapt it into something else. So we'll, we'll, get, we'll hear from a lot of production companies, and then, you know, it's the production companies that will take it to a network. So, you know, we're in those early stages of kind of like hearing everyone out of people that are, that are interested. Um, and it's, a lot of it has to do with, look, we already had a, an IP that was a, that's being adapted into, for TV with Up and Vanish. So, yeah. Um, I mean, two for two in, in podcasts, which that's for, great. And the same host too, not just as a company, but Payne as as a host and creator. So, I mean, that's interesting. It doesn't happen a lot, and you know, we feel you know lucky to be in this position and even to have some options of what to do in the TV space and also what to do next in the podcast space. Do you see it definitely as a docu series? It's not something scripted. It could be. Um, we tossed the idea around. Yeah. Um, I know Mindhunter is doing uh, yeah. season two about the Lanchal murders. And there was that FX show. I don't know if it's still yeah. happening anymore. Regina King, I'm not sure. Which sounds good. Yeah, yeah, it sounded yeah, great. Really I mean, good. I, I would 
would love to see that show. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love scripted TV, and that's kind of that's eventually where I want to go. Yeah. But I think that this story needs the docu series. It needs the documentary form of this. You know, I I love Mindhunter. Yeah. Um, but you know, there'll be Mindhunter. Then I want, you know, the quote unquote the real story with the real Wayne Williams in it. Right. So right. I think that this is the right play for that. I think telling the real story and adapting it that way is the best for this. Yeah. And really, I mean, every idea that we come up with moving forward, we're going to always think, hey, what can we do bigger than bigger than the podcast? How do we mm-hmm. continue to tell the story? Because it's really hard, especially when you're doing an investigation that's, you know, happening while you're doing the podcast. Yeah. At some point, you have to stop and put the podcast out. But the information doesn't stop flowing in. So there's always a part two to a story can be told in a different medium. And that's kind of what's happening with Up and Vanished and what can happen with Atlanta Monster. Yeah. What's the status of the Up and Vanished show? Um, well, it's going well. Um, they basically have greenlit us to shoot the pilot, and we're going out um, pretty soon to, to do that. They're super excited about the series. Yeah, uh, It's been like yeah. over a year in the making, and it's kind of a, just a complex show with just different moving parts, and um, the Terry Grinstead story is going to be a huge part of this, but there's also other stories that we're examining as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, we're, we're just super excited about it, and uh, things are finally moving, and it's, it's starting to move fast. So Yeah, it's interesting nice. because the, yeah. the Terry Grinstead story is, you know, still unfolding because the trial has Yeah, so there's yet. still, you know, new information to find, and, you know, so it's really there'll about, be a real ending to the story. timing at, at this point, too. You know, we, we're, we're gathering new information since Up and Vanish Season 1 ended. There's new information that we're gathering, planning to update the listeners with that, but also, um, you know, tell that second half of the story and, and hopefully cover that trial, um, you know, on the TV show. When do you think we'll get some announcements about up and when we actually get to see Up and Vanish? Because there's so many people who are, if you go to Google and just type in Up and Vanish, there's so <laughs> many questions about, like, when is this going to be on? Right. Well, um, I don't know exactly, but I would say to be safe, mm, With less than a year, I would say oh. six to eight months, maybe. Yeah. That would just be my guess. I mean, in, you um, know, but, you know, it's moving. It so. It's a priority for everybody, mm-hmm. including the network. So, yeah, TV um, takes, I mean, podcasts we can whip up and put out as soon as we edit it, right? But TV is a. Yeah, but it's monster. totally worth the wait. We put Absolutely. a lot of work into this, and yeah. it's going to be, you know, the best visual representation of the podcast and the story. Yeah, and that's what we want cool. to key in on. And, yeah. And, and it'll meantime, be fresh and new. It won't just be a recap, it'll be. Loaded with new information and just yeah. a different perspective. And you'll get more up and vanished before the TV series with season two of the podcast. Nice. Yes. So yeah, you'll get nice. that first. Yeah. Nice. That'll so come we're, this summer. we're gonna get another series in the summer and then actually get to see this on TV by the end of the year. Yeah. Hopefully by, Hopefully. Yeah, by yeah. top of next year we're hoping is like the you know, target date. So we're So from summer we'll onward be, you'll have a lot of up and vanished. Yeah. Oh heaven. Yeah, so we'll yes. be uh, <laughs> Yeah, we're we're on it, man. We're working on uh, four things right now and just trying to, you know, just strategize of how, when all this comes out, how we manage the workload. I mean, this is this is new. It's something that we didn't anticipate. You know, when you start up and vanish, we didn't know what what this was going to amount yeah. to, right? So mm-hmm. you end up just chasing it and then trying to figure it out as you're going because it, it gets bigger. We were talking last night. It's like people say, you know, one in a million chance. This is like literally yeah. that thing where you start a podcast, you know, and it's five thousand downloads the first day and on a cold case. Like, what are the chances that? a podcast will help influence justice in a case during the season of the podcast. Yeah. Like it's, it's like a lightning strike, you know what yeah. I mean? And that's what happened. And, and, but it wasn't an accident. It was, you know, it was still had to do with kind of like 
the the approach and the the awareness that the uh, the podcast brought to the case, but also through the interest that it drove because of the hosts, you know, and the relatability and all that. So, you know, we that's why I think it was so important for us to follow up with Atlanta Monster and and show like we can be successful in storytelling. And yeah. you know, yeah, um, that was my, one of my main points as a creator was. I'm not just the up and vanished guy. Right. Yeah. And like, you know, because everyone is always going to associate you know, your biggest project or your, your main thing to who you are. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, we had an opportunity to work with How Stuff Works. They've been a great team. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it was tough to basically in the same year, also while doing the up and vanished tour, <laughs> work and put this out. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of our team for making it happen. And, um, yeah, that was a huge deal. I mean, if... Atlanta Monster just flopped, and then like, okay, well, maybe he's yeah, not we knew it was, uh, good at doing that. <laughs> and yeah, so I was nervous was, about lucky. that. You know, <laughs> the minute I saw the graphic, I was like, I cannot wait to see this. Awesome. Like, you don't have that feeling with a podcast often. Like, right. no, no, I, I must watch this. Like, I, I was very excited for this thing to drop. And then when you heard like the musical cues, and the mood of it. It was just like, this is exactly my wheelhouse. And I awesome. think a lot of people must have felt that way. And I don't feel like you guys like set out demographically like, huh, what's the best story we could tell to get the largest possible audience? I think mm-hmm. you picked like a very interesting, niche story that people had frankly forgotten about. Definitely. And I mean, yeah, we didn't set out. Here's the thing. You know, we, we found the story you wanted to tell. And then we decided, okay, who is the audience for this? And that was actually the challenge was to find out, okay, how are we going to bridge the gap between these audiences? Because there's this audience that's pain and younger. So like the millennials yeah. who are into podcasting. Yeah. And then there's the, uh, there's the community that was affected by this, yeah. which is my age and older, yeah. you know, majority African-American community. And you're about like late thirties. I'm, I'm 41. Okay. 42. So, um, so like the, how do you get my parents, you know what I mean? To listen to a podcast cause they lived through it as, young adults and then a 22 year old who doesn't doesn't you know feels like we're in this post-racial america maybe yeah. you know doesn't want to continue to be here about all the differences and in the, in the divide of you know of race yeah. but that's like the ideal podcast listener you know the millennial and then yeah so how do you bridge these these gaps I mean, you know the my parents aren't listening to podcasts right they know the story right so it was actually a challenge to do this story and, and bring the audiences together and we did it through you know obviously taking the up and vanished audience and, and, and giving this to them and the how stuff works audience, their network of shows, but also in the city of Atlanta. I mean, we put billboards up in the city, you know, nice. because well, one thing we knew is that, you know, if you're African American and you lived in this time, you recognize that, um, yeah. that mugshot. So at the very least you're going to say, that's Wayne Williams. What the hell is he doing on this billboard? Like what is a TV show? Is it a wow. movie? And they're, they're going to find out what's a podcast. Like, what the hell is a podcast? You know? And then if it's enough chatter in the community, people will find it and they'll figure out how to go get it. You know? So we did same thing with TV one, like TV one is, you know, um, a network that programs for African-American content and mm-hmm. they have true crime shows. So we're like, let's we're running TV spots on TV one, you know? Nice. I mean? So that's the audience that, that knows this case. So we did, you know, some creative marketing. And House of Works was, you know, instrumental in, in all that stuff. So it was a good partnership, and I think we figured out how to bring those audiences together and listen and, and you know, come to the middle ground and have a discussion about this. You know, what I'm guessing or what I'm sort of hoping happens here as a viewer is that we get an OJ situation where someone does a really good scripted series about that case, and then pretty much at the same time there's a really good documentary that comes out. And it sounds like you provide the documentary half of that dream scenario. 
That's the goal. That's yeah, the that's goal. really is the goal. Yeah. And we, we, we when we first started Land on Monster, we didn't think that anyone was doing a story on this. Yeah. And yeah. We learned yeah, like close to release that there was going to be possibly this FX series yeah. and then there was and gonna be Mindhunter. Mind yeah. Wow, it's so I was crazy. like, what are the odds of that? No one I, I mean, was just like, Wow, thank God ours is coming out first. <laughs> no one was But seriously about the timing this. is always, you know, so bizarre. Yeah. This is one of those things that just happens sometimes. We didn't all call each other and plan this. Yeah. <laughs> just um, all independent thoughts just Yeah, it's just kind know, of yeah, interesting how that on, happens yeah. sometimes in the world, you know what I mean? Yeah. What would be your? Do you think there's any announcement coming soon about this getting picked up to a show? I'm hoping so. I think. I mean, there's there's interest out there. I'm there's definitely there serious be. interest, and we'll, we'll we're sure we we're know, moving fast, and we'll be the first to tip you off. We don't have any news yet on that, but uh, we know that there's some specific people who are interested in this, yeah. and um, they see the vision, and you know they want to make this a really highbrow, um, impactful show. Yeah, that just you know takes it even a step further than the podcast did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So should I say talking to, just so I don't be the reporter who talks to you for <laughs> an hour and then screws it up? Should, are you talking to studios? Are you talking to networks? Um, we have a production partner, and, yeah. and we're basically in the phase of, um, we're about to go out and pitch it, essentially. Cool. Yeah. yeah but cool. we've already had some initial conversations with some people. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh. When we first talked about this show on this podcast, I was talking to my partner, Matt Donnelly, and saying, okay, look, I think this is like a 10-part FX series. This is like a Ryan Murphy-style show, not right. necessarily made by Ryan Murphy. Here's all the characters. And then we talked about the Sinatra and Dean, um, the Sammy Davis Jr. and Sinatra. I remember that. Yeah, thing. Remember. And he's like, he's like, no, no, that's, that's a movie. Like, you should yeah. just do the movie of the time Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. trying right. to stop a serial killer. <laughs> that's incredible. That is. I was like, I'd watch oh. that. <laughs> that is really good. Do you think that there's a possibility of breaking out story? Can we see that movie, basically? Will that ever happen? I mean, if someone will pay me to do it, I'll consider it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was crazy. Like, first of all, you, you get it. Like, everything you just described about yeah. the 10-part FX series and then the other idea, like, this, there are so many stories within this story. And that's, like, the, the Regina King FX thing that they were, that I yeah. hope is still going to happen because I want to see that, mm -hmm. yeah. is really a story within the story. You know, it, yeah. everyone doesn't have to tell the story start to finish. Right. Because there's so many stories that have happened over that time period. It could be about the city, it could be about one case, one mother. So there are stories within the story that are worthy and should be told, you know, uh, in, in given that platform. And then there's also the, the, the true story that everyone should hear um, in documentary form, just so that we're not, you know, sensationalizing and really telling people, picking their interest with, like, the fear and the time and kind of what happened. Yeah. But also, like, now let's go get the, the real story. You know, the... Yeah, meet the real people. Yeah, because, I mean, look, how many... You know, there's been a ton of John Bonnet Ramsey stuff and a ton of OJ stuff. Right. And, you know, you know, a lot of those... They, have, they all fit in a different place, but I think, like, OJ Made in America was really that one thing where... I mean, again, I thought I knew the whole right. thing, right? And then I was like, man, this is... I knew about 45 minutes of this. I didn't know, you know, what was the thing, 10 hours or something Oh, yeah, like the that. other eight hours. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was like, wow, I didn't realize all this stuff happened with, you know, you know, the, the defense team and the, the, the jury and just OJ's history. Because we had talked a lot about yeah. the murder, but not about what created the person at the center of this. And they also talk a lot about L.A., like what, yeah, oh, what was so the good. environment mm -hmm. that allowed this to happen. And that's what we tried to do with Atlanta Monster was, hey, this, is, this isn't about, this is about the victims, but... 
let's take a step back. Why were they victims? You know, yeah. okay, this isn't about the serial killer, but why was he a serial killer? Where, what, who, who bred this serial killer? You know, what yeah. I mean, what were the the atmosphere in this city prior to um, these these murders, and then after? So we, you know, we wanted to look at at that deeply, and there's so much more to dig deeper on that. I mean, we did ten ten episode podcasts, and there was. I mean, we could have gone 20. You yeah. just didn't want to be redundant and, you know, continue to have, you know, pointless, long conversations with, with Wayne that really didn't end up where you wanted it to. So we felt like it was a good place to, to cap it. Well, you can release, like, 20 episodes of the Wayne tapes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of him. Uh, the unheard Wayne Williams. <laughs> you probably wouldn't listen to him. <laughs> I'd listened for a pretty long time. <laughs> Maybe you would. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I love the way it came out, and I think you did leave people wanting more. Like, it could have gone on too long if you'd had, like, you know, three episodes of Wayne just talking. And you did a really nice job of finding, like, this is where we're going to end it. You're all salivating to find out what happens next. And maybe it's the show. It's more episodes. And maybe it's a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the showbiz adage you guys really nailed of leaving wanting more. That's good. Thank uh, you. Uh, yeah, I mean... Every time a question episode pops up or anything, it's just like, oh, boy, here we go. Yes. um, What else do you guys want to do? I mean, you started off. You started off as a filmmaker. Did you start off off in podcasting or? No, I mean, the first podcast I ever listened to was Up and Vanish, episode one. So, wow. (laughs) Yeah, we I I met Payne probably five years ago. Um, I was in in the music industry for 20 years. Oh, wow. Promotions, marketing, A&R, managing talent. So I was managing uh, recording artists and. Payne had done some short form um, docu stuff and was doing music videos and hmm. sent me a cold email one day and said, hey, well, I want to shoot a video for one of your artists. And I was like, OK, cool. Wow. Let's, let's try it out. And, you know, we started working with probably like a fifteen hundred dollar music video. The first thing we ever did together mm-hmm. wow. turned out great. And we shot 15 more probably over the next, you know, several years. Yeah. Been on yeah. tours together all over the world. So we I knew wow. that. I knew that I could work with him. It's, like, it's, it's kind of hard for someone who has creative ideas, which is me, but yeah. doesn't have the, can't execute them. And then there's someone who huh. can execute the ideas, who doesn't always want to take direction from someone who can't actually do it. So when I was like, and in the beginning, I was like, okay, I'll use you as, my, as to direct some videos, but I got some ideas. And yeah. he was cool with that. So I was like, okay, I can work with this guy. Yeah. And then when I stepped back and said, okay, what do you, you know, then he came with ideas. And I go, well, damn, these ideas are better than my ideas. So like, <laughs> now I can really work with this guy, right? So I knew that we had a working relationship. So we developed that over, we did, you know, short form stuff. We did mini like docu stuff on some of the artists. And then he had the idea of, hey, I want to do a documentary on this, on a cold case, a true crime case. Wow. And then, the, you know, we didn't have documentary money. So it turned into a podcast and- I was like, hey, I'm, I want to go on this ride too. Like, I'd love to do something other than music, and started this, started the podcast, and now, less than two years later, yeah. here we are. Let me ask, given your musical background, did Wayne Williams have a future in this before everything happened? I mean, That's Gemini is a cool name for a group. That's interesting. I mean, <laughs> my honest opinion is no. I think that Wayne was just that mover and shaker guy that you've seen before who is in the circuit but never really doing anything officially but always doing something, always yeah. telling you about what's going on. Yeah. You know, I always am aware of the guys who are talking too much. Huh. You, know, so, you yeah. know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's like, why are you talking so much about what you're doing? Why aren't, why aren't you just doing it or right. showing me what you're doing? Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? I'm always like the 
work speaks for itself kind of thing yeah for me yeah and so you know i'm all just kind of red flags in, in <laughs> the industry of some people who are just talking a lot about what they do especially like when you haven't made it yet or something yeah so i mean who knows you know i i haven't got a chance to hear like much of anything that he was making um i've heard stories from you know members of gemini his mm-hmm. band, but you know, really, <laughs> let, let the I record also, show you did do air quotes when you said. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's funny? I, I did air quotes when I said Gemini because, and I, I've heard accounts that Gemini maybe wasn't really a real thing, huh? And that there was, yeah, there was this these three kids who were in Gemini, but maybe that Gemini was just this like blanket name that he was using for any band he was making, and huh. maybe there was more than one Gemini going on, which would be totally bizarre. And yeah. weird. It was like a Wu-Tang Clan situation. Just like Gemini is just <laughs> the name of whatever's happening, but there is no real Gemini at all. It's like, what? I think, <laughs> they did honestly, that, I think the Wu-Tang Clan where they didn't all know about each other. Wait, what? RZA, you have another man. family? I think Wayne may have had a pretty good shot at making it. And here's why I think back, I mean, I think what you're saying is relatable definitely today. Yeah. Back then, I mean, how many people were young ambitious hustlers that were able to get studio time yeah had their own radio station had political and in music industry connects and i'm doing air quotes with connects because yeah. at least he had names and faces and you know people knew who he was in news in politics so he was further along and, and he, he didn't come he had came from some money middle class when most people yeah. you know, were lower to lower middle class to um you know poor at that time yeah so he he had something to offer that was intriguing and sometimes that's all it takes is to get lucky enough to find a talented kid who will sign a contract and you give him some studio time so you never know he could have he could have made it. i know he believes he could have made it yeah um and people around him believe that he you know was that could have been that next barry gordy la reed or, or whatever and yeah. i mean you never know but what he was ambitious and he was a hustler and sometimes that's all it takes but you also got to think this was like 1980, and he was trying to make kid bands. How many kid huh. bands were there that were successful in the 80s? He Maybe was, I'm yeah, wrong. Yeah, he was basing it off of... But, yeah, Jackson 5 and stuff like that. Right. But yeah. he was like on the end of that. Yeah. The 80s became something way different, I feel like, after that. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that would have... Maybe he would have changed up the style, but well, I don't know if that would have worked. I mean, there, after, he could have been... And I mean, I'm going back. I'm showing my age here. Like, you probably don't even know some of these. Probably <laughs> like, not. Like... Jackson Five, then you had New Edition. Yeah, you know I mean, you had there was there was at least one successful, at least uh, black boy band. We didn't call them boy bands; they were groups for you know for us. But they were there was at least one every five to seven years for till at least like the late nineties, probably. You, you know? had another band, another bad creation. You had Chris yeah, Ross, ABC, Chris Cross, Chris Cross, and New then, Edition, The Boys. Yeah, um, you know we. There was some, so I mean, you never know. It could have, it could have happened. Wayne could have been. Never know. <laughs> you know, but the, the 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 weirdest thing is that he still has that. I was gonna say secretly has that ambition, but it's not even a secret anymore. Like he well, still has those ambitions of being the executive from mm-hmm. behind the prison walls. Yeah, oh, first man. call he introduced yeah, me to his new artist cellmate. Right. Artist, yeah. 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 I, I put that in there on purpose because I was like, what the hell? And gave him a platform. <laughs> and I want to... everyone to say, what the hell? Because yeah. <laughs> that's but, what I was thinking. And that was one like, you know, and gave the kid a platform to like rap and, and do. And that's what Wayne wanted. Was like, was, and the kid was really nice and yeah. actually was a decent rapper. Kid, yeah. He sent me some songs. Yeah. 
But I was like, what is going on here, actually? <laughs> it's <laughs> a world that's hard to understand. What, but what I think, podcast am I making? <laughs> right, no, definitely. It's, it's hard to understand because we look at it from outside the walls. But if you're in there, like, right. wow, I have an opportunity for a million people, yeah. millions of people to hear yeah. me rap. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get out of here one day. You yeah. know what I mean? And sure. this could be something that benefits me. Maybe some A&Rs that you never know. So, like, it's, we look at things differently from outside of here and, like, man, this sounds crazy. But, I mean, what isn't coming out of the prison that sounds crazy? It's, you're in an institution. You're institutionalized. You don't know yeah. up from down, left from right. You're just in this world that, you know, we can't um, really understand. So, you know, grasping at anything to connect with the outside world. So yeah. it's kind of it's, – it's, it's sad and it's um, revealing, you know what I mean, of, like, kind of all these different worlds that are – you know, that you can see through this podcast. You see yeah. that, that world also that we really didn't discuss that much, but mm-hmm. if you really peel back the layers, there's this whole world of how things work in prison and how the mentality of the people behind or how they don't walls. work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is incredible. Like it is like multiple episodes of just the inner workings of prison. I mean, I don't know if you guys have listened to the ear hustle podcast. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. Oh, man. Yeah. I love it. So good. Yeah, man. I don't even know if I should like waste time. I know we only have time for like one more quick thing. Sure. And this might be like a five hour thing, (laughs) but I was so hooked at the point when I realized that George Bush was running the task force, vice president, George Bush was running the crime task force. And that hilarious episode with the porn in the woods, which people should just go listen to popcorn. (laughs) It's so funny. But, um, the one thing where I kind of went like, huh, was when Wayne was talking about being in the CIA's like youth minority outreach program, mm-hmm. which I'm really impressed that the CIA was like that forward thinking in whatever year. Right. And then realizing that George Bush had run the CIA, I was right. just like, was there any, was there any possibility? And I don't even believe this as it comes out of my mouth, but that George Bush was like, Oh no, that's one of those kids from that program. We got to shut this down. Like, I don't know. Like the whole CIA <laughs> thing you know, some people give me a lot of flack just for even bringing it up. Yeah. But I'm like, guys, I'm not bringing it up. <laughs> These people are living real lives, and they're telling me this in person. Multiple yeah. people. They believe this. Yeah. And I was, I mean, I'm like, honestly, people probably don't believe it, but I'm like the kind of person who just doesn't believe in conspiracy theories. Wow. I'm like, oh, this is conspiracy. I'm like, whatever. Conspiracy, it's like, that's not true. That's funny. But, um... Some things pique my interest. Yeah. And if it's convincing, then I'm like, man, maybe so. Yeah. So this one is maybe so. I was like, I don't know. But there's a lot of people saying similar things. Either way, some of these guys have some crazy stories, and Wayne is saying it himself. Yeah. So, okay. You know, it's been one of those rumors. I wanted you guys to see the whole scope of this. Yeah. To know, like, how complicated it is. If I just left out that part, then I would be doing a disservice to you know, how I felt investigating this case. Yeah. Because there's, you know, that's one of many different white rabbits, or maybe it's true. Who knows? Right. I don't know. Here's the thing about yeah. the CIA, too, is, like, it would be one thing if if it was Wayne was the only person saying this. He's just making stuff Sure, up, I'm right? like, okay. Right. But, like, this is something where, like, his parents' friends yeah. knew about. So, he like, how do you make up a lie that you, as a youngster, 17, right. tell your parents about? Right. And they tell their friends about, and everyone kind of knows this loose story about the CIA. No, who does that? Like, so there's yeah. some, there's something going on with this story, right? And the fact that Bush is the VP, and Bush used to run the CIA. Yeah. It just, it just those 
connections that aren't quite made, but they're close enough to where the conspiracy can say, oh, see, this is how it worked. Yeah. Bush did this and then that. But I always go back to logic. So it yeah. has that connect to anything. Though. Yeah, it does. It would only connect if you believe the, this, the theory that Wayne was set up. But they can't all be true. They can't all be true. And that's what we decided. That's what we decided. All the conspiracy theories can't work together. Mm. And it's usually less, it's more so like rush to judgment, sweep something under the rug, not conspiracy. And there's no reason for if Wayne Williams was a threat, why is he still alive and talking on a podcast in 2018? You know what I mean? Right. You don't need that. He's, you don't need to hold him up as someone who's. Every, everyone that the CIA has a problem with, they are no, no longer in existence. They don't they don't live past they the day that they yeah. want them gone. You right, know what I mean? Right. So you don't lock them up and then allow them to talk for 40 years. You know, so we just decided, like, look, this isn't uh, – it's, it's, it's relevant enough to talk about, but we're not going to go down the rabbit hole of why the conspiracy makes sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's all I got. Is there anything else <laughs> you all want to say? Um, just thanks yeah, for having thank us. We really enjoyed oh my God. your episode on us. I was actually cracking up in you the car with Meredith. Yeah, yeah, no, oh man. Sorry, the audio was someone so bad. tweeted to no. me. And I was like listening to like in my car with Meredith. We were cracking up with the Frank Sinatra stuff. Oh like, my God, is, these guys so are funny. awesome. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So thanks for covering it. Thanks for coming here to meet us and, and yeah. doing this again. I appreciate it. I never in a million years thought you guys would actually listen to that or would ever hear about it. So that's. I think it was like day of too. Someone I just that's so funny. tweeted me. I was like, what is this? Yeah. And I was like, I just scrubbed through. It was like fine <laughs> parts. And like, I just turned it on. And Mary was like, what is this? Yeah. And I was like, this is podcast talking about our podcast. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was really man. funny. Yeah. You just, you made our month. That's awesome. <laughs> awesome.